1: Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter, through the Bible, with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez. Today, as we continue with our study in the book of Judges, Samson gets the woman he wanted for a wife, but things get off to a rocky start. We'll pick it up in Judges chapter 14, verse 8. The title of the message is, The Danger of Youthful Lusts.
2: Judges chapter 14. Judges chapter 14. Well, we saw last week that God gave Samson everything he needed to succeed at his calling. But instead of striving to be a vessel of honor, Samson, he's been playing with fire by asking his parents to get him a Philistine wife and by secretly visiting vineyards. Samson was not a man without potential, but he's becoming a man without principle, making decisions based on his desires rather than God's Word. And the danger of youthful lusts is that if we don't handle them correctly, we may never outgrow them. One of the things that I found is my job as a parent is to drive that foolishness out of my child's heart, to create space between foolishness And their heart, so they can learn to not be impulse people, that they'll learn to exercise self control, to be yielded to the Lord, to be good decision makers. I can't make them do that, but my goal is to try to drive that foolishness as far away from their heart as possible so that they can become that person when we launch them into the world. This is something that Samson has never learned. And I've found frequently when I'm doing counseling with an adult who's got just repeated problems, they just can't seem to make good decisions. That's part of the problem. They never learned that. They never learned to not be impulse people, to just go with what they want or how they feel. And so this is what we want to learn from Samson in particular, but of course, looking on the course of his whole life. So we pick it up in verse 8 of chapter 14. Samson has already been going down. He's been working out the marriage details with mom and dad. But now we're getting to the point where the wedding is going to take place. And so we come into verse 8 of chapter 14, and it says, and after a time, he returned to take her. So he's returning down to the village of Timnath, and they're going to get married. And he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion. And behold, there was a swarm of bees and honey in the carcass of the lion. And he took thereof from the honey there in his hands, and he went on eating, and then he came to his father and mother and gave them, and they did eat, but he did not tell them that he had taken the honey out of the carcass of the lion. Now, there is so much nonsense in these two verses here for Samson. First off, it mentions here that he returns to go take this wife he's not supposed to have. We've already talked about that, so I won't revisit that. But then it says he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion. Now, where is the carcass of the lion? The carcass of the lion is in the vineyard. <laughs> what is he doing going back to a vineyard? Last time he went, he got attacked by a lion. And even if he say, well, he's just going to see the carcass, Will, it doesn't say he's going to the vineyard. Even if that's the case, Nazarites aren't allowed near corpses. What is he doing going to examine a corpse? What are you doing going back to a vineyard and checking out a corpse? Samson is again toying with compromise, and this time he succumbs because the enemy doesn't attack his physical strength this time. This time, the enemy attacks his lack of spirituality. It says, and he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion, and behold, You know, it's interesting, that word behold is the same exact word that was used last time he came into the vineyard, except last time it said, behold, a lion came out and attacked him. This time it says, behold, there was a swarm of bees and honey in the carcass of the lion. Oh, this looks way sweeter and far more innocent than a lion, but it's an equally dangerous trap of the enemy. For it says he took thereof in his hands, and he went on eating, and then he came to his father and mother, and he gave them some of it, and they did eat. But then he didn't tell his parents where he got the honey, that he got it out of the carcass, a dead body of a lion. You know, most speculate that Samson was in the vineyard to eat grapes in secret. Most commentators believe that Samson had already violated that part of his vow. We can't know that for sure but we can know that he violated this part of his vow, that prohibited contact with corpses. And Samson knew he had violated that because he didn't tell his parents. Now, can I give you a clue so you can know when you're doing something you shouldn't do, or when you're doing something that's not okay to do, even if you can rationalize in your mind that it is okay to do? And it's if you don't want anyone to know about it. (laughs) If you are going to hide it from people that love you and care about you, and you don't want them to know about it, you're going to hide details from them because you think they wouldn't understand. You're right, they wouldn't. Because they're probably going to point out that you're not doing what you should be doing, or you're doing something you shouldn't be doing. Samson knew he had violated his vow because he doesn't tell them. And this is what happens when I lean on my own understanding. I go from being around temptation, like Samson had been, to actually giving into it. And you know, Psalm 1 actually explains this progression. In Psalm 1, verse 1, it's a very short psalm, but in verse 1 it says, Blessed is a man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. And do you see the progression there? You st- the person is blessed if they don't start off in the wrong place in the council of the ungodly. But if you hang out in the council of the ungodly, guess what happens? You end up standing in the road that sinners are going down. If you're hanging out with the council listening to the council of the ungodly, then you end up on the same roads that they're going down. And then it results in you sitting in the seat of the scornful, those that would mock the life of righteousness. You actually end up sitting down in the seat of those that do that. The only way to avoid becoming that, being the blessed person who doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly or follow that progression where you end up sitting in the seat of the scornful, is verse 2 of Psalm 1. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law does he meditate day and night. And what does that result in? Verse 3, he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also does not wither, and whatsoever he does shall prosper. That's the only way to avoid that is to be in God's word, to not lean on my own understanding, but to know what God says and then to trust that what God says is correct and is true, and is right. In verse 10, after Samson violates his Nazarite vow, verse 10, it says, so his father went down unto the woman, and Samson, and he's going down there to pay the dowry price, to sign any official documents, and Samson, it says, made there a feast, for so used the young men to do. Now the word there for feast literally means a place of drinking. Now, they did not have Coca-Cola or root beer or anything like that back then. When it talks about a place of drinking, it's a place of drinking alcohol. So the question is, again, why would Samson host a drinking party when he's not allowed to have wine? Well, it tells us, for so used the young men to do. Even if this was not part of his life growing up, this is what everybody else did. And so that's what Samson decides to do. That's what his peers did in this situation. Samson is letting the culture shape his behavior rather than his vow to the Lord shaping his behavior. And again, even if Samson is planning to abstain, he is still toying with compromise. Now Verse 11 says, And it came to pass, when they saw him, they saw Samson, that they brought thirty companions to be with him. The word there, they, refers to the bride's family. So as the bride's family comes to this feast for, to celebrate the wedding, for them to you know, make it official, they bring a ton of people with them from the city to celebrate. And seeing that Samson has no one to celebrate the marriage with him, they assign thirty Philistine friends To him from her side. You know, like you would go into most weddings and they would have often they'd have like a groom side and a bride side. I know they don't do that as much anymore where they split the sides up, but traditionally that's what they would do. Samson doesn't have anyone on his side. Why are Israelis going to come down to a Philistine wedding? And so he doesn't have anyone. So they give him 30 friends from her side of the wedding party. And so these become Samson's best men, his friends. They're going to celebrate and be there to support him. And like today's weddings, it was customary to give your friends gifts. If, you, you know, if you're you uh, you know, a bride or a groom, uh, frequently you will give gifts to your best men or to your maids of, uh, of honor, maidens of honor. And uh, it was customary to do that back then as well. But Samson wasn't very keen on doing that he decided to get some gifts for himself. Look at verse 12. And Samson said unto them, I will now put forth a riddle unto you. If you could certainly declare it to me within the seven days of the feast and find it out, then I will give you 30 sheets and 30 change of garments. But if you cannot declare it to me, he can't solve my riddle, then shall you give me 30 sheets and 30 changes of garment. And so they said unto him, put forth your riddle that we may hear it. Now, the Middle East is much more leisurely than the West. I know for my wedding, the entire time I was there, I was thinking, how much longer do I have to go? Because <laughs> I would like to just run away with my new bride. And, uh, and, and I know that, you know, some people really enjoy, you know, the wedding festivities and everything like that. Most people I know are just exhausted by the end of it because of everything that goes into it. But back then, they were very leisurely things. Weddings lasted seven days. It's just how it was. Um, you didn't have to wait seven days to get your wife. You acted as husband and wife the first night after you got married. But you celebrated with your friends and family for seven days. And so as they're going about this, Samson says, at the first day, I'm going to put forth a riddle to you. And if you can declare it to me, you can solve it within the time of the wedding feast. And then I will give you 30 sheets, which are uh, the linen undergarments. There were Sometimes you'd wear them as a day shirt around the house, um, but they were, you know, usually would sleep in those. And then 30 changes of garments. And the word here for changes of garments is a full set of outerwear and and it would be nice clothing. So this is quite an expensive gift that Samson is saying I'll give to you if you solve my riddle. Um, Each of these guests would make out very well if they won this contest. So despite the offensive gesture that he doesn't just give them a gift, they go in on the bet. Because he says, if you can't declare it to me, then you got to give that to me, which would be a killing for him. He would be rich. So he says, put forth, they said, you know what? what? We we like our odds here. Put forth your riddle that we may hear it. And so verse 14, Samson said unto them, out of the eater came forth meat and out of the strong came forth sweetness. And they could not, King James says, in three days um, expound the riddle. The original, uh, I'm sorry, they could not in three days expound the riddle. That is correct. We'll get to where it's off in verse 15. Now, feeling embarrassed and, and cheated out of the normal hospitality of being a wedding guest, they decide that this has actually been planned, not just by Samson, but by the entire family, that they've been tricked into this loss. So it came to pass, verse 15, on the seventh day, and that is not a correct reading. The King James' is seventh day, but the original reading in the older manu- oldest manuscripts is the fourth day. And it came to pass on the fourth day that they sent unto Samson's wife, their own countryman, entice your husband, which means um, to seduce, to allure, to coax for deceptive purposes, that he may declare unto us the riddle lest we burn you and your father's house with fire. For have you not called us, invited us to this wedding to take what we have? Is this not so? See, they think that this was the plan all along by both her and Samson, that they had conspired to become wealthy at the expense of her countrymen, that she's betrayed her people and she plans to rob them to defect with this Israeli. And so they threaten her and her whole family with murder. You need to do whatever you do, use your feminine wiles, do whatever you can do, but you better find it out or we're gonna burn your uh, lest we burn you and your father's house with fire. And being threatened with murder, she decides to deceive her husband, Samson, verse sixteen. And Samson's mm-hmm. wife, again, they were legally considered marri- considered legally married on the first day of the wedding, and Samson's wife wept before him. The word here for wept is a, it's a progressive word. It means where you started as kind of being teary-eyed, and then you had a few fragmented sobs until you're just full-blown blubbering. And, and probably she didn't have to do a lot of pretending here, considering the very real threats on her life and on the lives of her family. So she says to him, as she's blubbering like this, she says, You do, no, you do but hate me, and you do not love me for you have put forth a riddle unto the children of my people, and you have not told it to me. Now, that's a pretty heavy accusation. Um, You don't love me. I mean, that's only, what are we, four days into the marriage, three days into the marriage? You don't love me. And so, what is Samson's reaction? Well, Samson's not moved at all. And so he says, behold, I have not told it to my father nor to my mother. Shall I tell it to you? That's interesting. We'll revisit that comment in a little bit. I have not told it to my father nor my mother, so shall I tell it to you? I haven't told anybody. I haven't told the people I love the most. Why would I tell you? And yet, verse 17 says, She wept before him for, again it says here, the seven days. It means the rest of the seven days. She persisted for the next four days. And it came to pass on the seventh day that he told her, Because she lay sore upon him, the word here means to nag to the point point of feeling feeling oppressed by the nagging. She nagged him so much that it was just oppressive for him. He couldn't take it anymore, and so uh, it says that he. I'm sorry, I lost my spot. Where are we here? Verse 17. And because she lay sore upon him, it says she told the. I'm sorry. He told her because she lay sore upon him, and she told the riddle to the children of her people. So. Samson relents, and he gives in to her uh, pressure and tells her what the riddle means. And so, verse 18, The men of the city said unto him on the seventh day before the sun went down. So right at the end, the very end of when they could tell him. And they solved the riddle by saying, What is sweeter than honey? And what is stronger than a lion? And Samson replied to them, If you had not plowed with my heifer you had not found out my riddle. Uh, Obviously, not something you would want to say in reference to your wife. Um, I highly recommend not following Samson's example here, even when you feel betrayed by your spouse. But I don't think he's making a direct reference to his spouse. Heifers were not normally used for plowing. So this, is a state, this statement is an accusation that they did not play fair. You did something that shouldn't have been done. You don't use a heifer for plowing. A heifer is used for other purposes. So he's saying, if you had not played unfairly, then you would not have found out my riddle. And so Samson, you could tell by his response that he feels betrayed, not just by his wife here, but by all the Philistines. And he decides, you know what? Two can play at this game. I'm going to go get the nice suits that I owe to all of you from some rich Philistines who are still wearing them. Look at verse 19. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, Samson, and he, Samson, went down to Ashkelon, uh, that's about 20 miles from Timnath, and he slew 30 men of them, and he took their spoil, and he gave the change of garments unto them which expounded the riddle, and his anger was kindled, and he went up to his father's house he left his wife. But Samson's wife was given to his companion, whom he had used as his friend. Now, this is about 70 times ways messed up. All right? This is so messed up, I don't even know where to begin. So let's start at the beginning in verse 19, where it says, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. Why would God come upon him in supernatural power When Samson's motivation here is not spiritual, but it's personal hurt and anger and a desire for retribution, revenge, personal revenge. Well, we already know the answer. The answer is given up here in verse 4. The reason, the same reason that God allowed him to marry this Philistine girl. It says, it was of the Lord because he saw an occasion against the Philistines. God wanted conflict between Israel and the Philistines, and this was the spark that will start the fire. And so he empowers Samson, allows Samson to go through with this. Now, Samson goes down to Ascalon. Ascalon is one of the five royal cities of the Philistines, over 20 miles from Timnath. I mean, you got to be pretty angry to go stomping down there to go get these suits. However, there is a method to his anger because it's a royal city. This is where the wealthiest Philistines would live. And so he goes into this packed, city packed full of Philistines, kills 30 men of them, takes their spoil, literally what they were wearing, takes the clothes right off of them, and I don't think he probably dry cleaned them before returning them. And then he throws the clothes at their feet, you know, Gave the change of garments unto them which expounded the riddle. Here you go. Hope you like them. Now, none of this from an individual perspective of what is right and what is wrong is good. From God's perspective, he's starting a conflict up with the Philistines and the Israelis. But from a personal perspective, none of the actions that Samson is taking are right, biblical, or good. And yet, how does Samson respond to the concept that God supernaturally empowered him to do this? Despite knowing what his calling is. What's his calling? What was the thing that God had told his parents? We see here back in Judges chapter 13, what has God told Manoah's wife it says here in verse 5 of chapter 13 for lo you shall conceive and bear a son and no razor shall come in his head for the child shall be a Nazarite unto God from the womb and he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines he knows mom why is it I can't get a haircut again because God is a special call upon your life Samson God is going to use you to begin to deliver us from our enemies, from the Philistines, those who have oppressed us. We have cried out to God for mercy, not because we deserve it, but because things are really bad. And and God is answering us, and you're his answer. Samson knows this. And yet again, despite knowing his calling, Samson does not take note of God's supernatural empowerment to fight the Philistines. After all All is said and done. What is the pervading thought in his mind after he gives him these garments? It's anger. And his anger was kindled, and he went up to his father's house. He left his wife, abandoned his marriage after just one week of it. What should have been one of the happiest times in both of these people's lives was a tragedy to console his daughter who would have been considered cursed as an abandoned wife her father has her married to one of those 30 guys that had been one of Samson's best best men now if you had never heard Samson's story before most of us have probably heard Samson's story you know how probably the rest of it goes if not in the details at least generally but if you had never heard Samson's story before you would never think it would go this way from reading chapter 13. If all you had was chapter 13 and no other knowledge about Samson, you would never think it would go this way. And that's why Scripture urges us to be vessels of honor. How do we do that? How do we choose to be vessels of honor? Well, the question I would say is, are you studying Scripture? Are you studying Scripture? If you're in the Word, you're studying the Word of God with regularity, then that's the positive thing you need to do to become a vessel of honor. Chase after righteousness. Not all the things the world wants to talk about. Righteousness, faithfulness, love, peace. And do it with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. So I ask you, are you studying Scripture? Are you purging yourself from worthless talk and youthful lusts? And are you pursuing godly things with godly people? That's how you become a vessel of honor.
1: This has been In the Word with Pastor Will Ramirez, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online